The auto industry is in a position that it's never been with global shutdowns, development of new technology, and changing consumer preferences. The cars we drive tomorrow will look and be used differently. While electric vehicles only make up 2% of the total market today, by 2030, that number will be closer to 10%. Today on Things Have Changed, we are going to unpack the future of the automotive industry and what we can expect to see in the coming years. An engineer, banker, and dancer go on a hike. They realize how things have changed and start a podcast. Hi, I'm Jed, the banker. I'm Shikhar, the engineer. And I'm Adrian, the dancer. And we are THC. We break down topics, meet pioneers, and share ideas. Welcome to Things Have Changed. So it's really interesting uh, to see what's going on in the auto industry right now. Myself, I grew up being the, that guy that was playing Need for Speed Underground 2 on his PlayStation 2. So always modifying my cars, always... Uh, Losing, yeah. No, no. I was always on top, getting first place. <laughs> Growing up and uh, loving the car scene. And back in the day, uh, it was a different landscape. I mean... The amount of change and innovation, you know, legislation that has changed, consumer trends has changed, you know, completely different market right now. Currently, what we're seeing is people are going towards electric vehicles. People are going towards bigger vehicles like SUVs, trucks, uh, crossovers. Ford announced they're not even going to make any sedans anymore. What? I think they have uh, the Mustang still. Which is not really a sedan, I guess. <laughs> it's not. It's technically the only car they have. Um, that's like a car. And then the rest, they're just going to be making SUVs, crossovers, trucks. This isn't because they just want to. It, it, there's, a, there's a reason behind it. There's consumer trends. There's tastes that are changing. Right now, we're seeing people, you know, gas prices are pretty low. So you're seeing people go towards bigger vehicles for more space, practicality. They're able to get these trucks and big vehicles lighter also. So that's a big benefit. Back in the day when you had these big Suburbans, they're using old ways of building cars. Now they're building cars, not just like welding them, but they're actually using glue, glue metal on metal. What? So there's like really interesting new manufacturing ways of building these cars uh, more efficient. Like we had the first production line that Ford created back in the day with the Model T. You're having these like carbon fiber composite materials being used that used to be used or currently is used in like races for Formula One, for aerospace, NASA. Um, so you're seeing all these technologies trickle down into uh, how cars are manufactured currently. So today we wanted to kind of uncover what's going on um, with the current state of the auto industry, where we think it's going to go based on how auto manufacturers are trying to adjust basically pivot how they're building cars, what their strategies are, their partnerships, their direction, a lot of things going on and a lot of technology being developed right now. That's going to really shape the way that we see cars on the road in the next 5, 10, 15 years. With currently what's going on, we're seeing a lot of development into semi-autonomous vehicles. So we have like the five levels. Uh, we covered a lot of the, the autonomous levels in our uh, episode with Christian Gebis. He's uh, building really cool autonomous trucks for the trucking industry, Autobahn. 
Um, so he did a really good job of explaining the five levels, where they're at, um, what's their goal, and what the timeline is looking like. Um, so I don't want to jump in too much on that. But with what consumers are expecting now, or what is like the new standard of uh, vehicles and how autonomous they are, now we're seeing a lot of safety features that consumers are seeing as a new standard. So you have the lane assist, you know, making sure the car stays within the lane. You have uh, like adaptive cruise control where your car will break for you. So if you're in traffic on a commute and someone breaks on you last minute, in front of you, the car will break for you and save you a lot of money. <laughs> My friend got the Honda CRV, and for some reason, when I was thinking about like autopilot and stuff like that, right? Okay, it's only limited to Tesla. Granted, they have huge data sets, but we were driving on the New York highways, right? And he just did two things: he switched on lane assist. And he switched on cruise control. Just two things. And we drove for like 30 miles to Bear Mountain. Like this is a highly traffic highway. So it's already here. Like he put it and he's like, oh yeah, dude. Last week I had a call, conference call at work and I had to drive out. So uh, I, was, I was on a conference call with my laptop on my, on my seat. And I just let the car go. And I was like, what? I didn't know this was now commonly available, but I guess it is. A new standard feature, I don't know if it's for just California, but you have to have a backup camera now uh, legally. Uh, so manufacturers are legally required to build, a, to build in a, a backup camera. And I, this probably has to do with like safety for kids and um, you know, not running over babies or anything like that. Let me let me tell you uh, what my switch was, right? So I was driving a Corolla, then I, I switched to a Camry. And then from the Camry, I experienced the biggest jump in technology. My Camry was a 2011 Toyota Camry. And I switched from that to a Tesla Model 3, right? And I, I got the package for the, um, the fully autonomous, full self-driving FSD. Um, and dude, I was blown the fuck away. Okay, so you're telling me all these other car manufacturers are putting in, you know, this lane assist, um, cruise control functions and stuff like that, which I had an idea of before. For this FSD that I'm using right now, I drove from Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona to Seattle, Washington. Okay, so that's a 33 hour drive with a, a electric vehicle because you got to charge and, and whatnot. About how many charges was that? I, I that was about five six hours of charging, so it was pretty long. Six hours, yeah, of that's not bad. Yeah, okay. so it's pretty long added to it, I guess, compared to the twenty four twenty five hour trip it would have been. But point is here, dude. Ninety percent of the way, I was letting it drive me, and this is the craziest thing. I have never used full self driving. I bought the car a week before I left the state. It was ridiculous because, dude. Yeah, you were you were practicing I, to yeah. <laughs> know how to operate exactly because there's a learning curve exactly to it. and and you know for people like me who have come from a camry 2011 to this tesla right i didn't have any of those other features except maybe cruise control right there's no lane assist or whatnot but that switch was freaking crazy for me because i am now able to just let the car drive even switch lanes right i don't know if other cars are switching lanes already i think i think they are um and then even exiting the freeway dude it recognizes stoplights. It recognizes, you know, things like that. So we're talking semi-autonomous, like it's pretty close. I was not driving 90% of the time. And when I had to drive, I kind of forgot. 
I was like, ah, you know, what do I do? Like when I would do, when I would try to, you know, put up the switching lane thing, like put up my, my blinkers, I would forget that I actually have to move the wheel because the Tesla moves the wheel yeah. for you. So <laughs> one thing on that, like, I think the other manufacturers are just not marketing it that way. Because like when I sat there, I was genuinely shocked because remember, Jed, like we went on that test drive and that was like, oh, wow, this is cool. The same thing. I let him yeah, drive. The, yeah. The, <laughs> the same thing, dude. And I was like shocked. Wait, hang on. This is a Honda CRV. And you're telling me this is there. So uh, there's a lot that it doesn't have. I mean, they don't have those data sets that Tesla, with the number of cars on the road, has a bigger data set. So it knows more. But like, it is interesting how everyone's coming to that point and everyone wants to get to that point where it's not a differentiator anymore. People can't say, oh, you know, this car has it, so I'm going to jump over there. So I think that arms race to, to get to autonomy is heating up. You know what's the telltale sign of where the industry is going? When the beacon, the beacon of gas, what's the beacon of gas, right? Hummer. The Hummer is now EV. Can you believe that? The Hummer. <laughs> Complete 180. <laughs> <laughs> On consumer reports, you would expect, because Tesla's winning, been winning this, this race with like, you know, autonomous and, and, and electric and whatnot. Recently in 2019, I read an article like the CT models of the Cadillacs that have been being produced um, 2018 to 2020 um, have beat the self-autonomous model of Tesla Model 3 on consumer reports. The one feature that beat the Tesla Model 3 was that it scanned your face to see if you were paying attention. That's ridiculous. Because the Tesla Model 3 doesn't do that. It's it's about the it's about the wheel, right? To check if you're still there. A lot of the problems we've been seeing so far in the news is like somebody was reading a Harry Potter book and, you know, got into a fatal accident and whatnot. And and people taking advantage because it was marketed as an autonomous vehicle type thing. So people were like, all right, let it drive and just go, just tap the thing sometimes. Um, so GM took it to the next level with the Cadillacs and now it scans your face to see, you know, if you're paying attention or whatnot, I don't know exactly what goes into that, but that's, that's pretty interesting development in like the autonomous vehicle space. This is the direction the, the industry is going because, um, recently Volkswagen came out with the ID4. Did you see that? Dude, it sold out. It sold out on the first day, you know? So there's just such pent up demand of people who are like, okay, I'm waiting for that one car. And then I'm going to go. Same with the Porsche, like um, the higher end of the market, even the premium market is being affected where, you know, Porsche came out with the Taycan and got sold out. So, you know, there's just so much pent up uh, demand for it. And it just means that, hey, gas is not sexy anymore. Hummers are EVs now. So I think it's time to start moving. (laughs) It is. And, and, you know, what's our use case for this? Like, what does it look like to have a place with like a bunch of just electric vehicles, right? First example I found was Norway. Johnny Harris uh, had a video with, with Vox presenting like, there are so many Teslas in Norway. He went there and he was shocked by how many Teslas there were in, in Norway. And I was... I was shocked to find out that most of the sales in September 2020, and this was the same in 2019, actually, it's the same stat. 60% of all car sales were electric vehicles. 
right? You're budding about 30 or 40% of the entire Norwegian market to be electric cars, largely due to uh, regulation, right? Lots more tax credits for electric vehicles. You get 50% off parking. You get 50% off a lot of tickets, you know, getting through highways and whatnot if you have an EV. So they really pushed for that shit. So now if you go to Norway, you're going to see, you know, Teslas everywhere. Yeah. So, so you mentioned the consumer demand. You have the demand there uh, with Volkswagen uh, selling all their units before they even started getting them uh, produced. So there's perked up demand for that. That's one thing that is pushing manufacturers to get into EV. Uh, there's another reason. Uh, and for example, in California, the EPA, probably the most strict and stringent agency in all of the U.S., has uh, these goals for manufacturers to hit on their average miles per gallon for their whole fleet of vehicles that they have. And so every year it goes higher and higher on what their average miles per gallon is. So let's say Ford has trucks and then they have SUVs and then they have the Mustang or some smaller cars. So they use those smaller cars to offset the bigger vehicles that are not as efficient and have bigger engines. Um, but they have to hit that average miles per gallon uh, threshold that the EPA or whatever agency sets. So with with the introduction of hybrid cars, that was allowing these manufacturers to abide by these uh, legislation rules to get their miles per gallon to be higher. We did have gas prices go really high level in 2015. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, I think gas prices got to like 450 in certain places in California. Um, almost $5, $5 in certain areas, I'm pretty sure uh, gas prices hit. So that was a big drive to get more hybrid cars. EV wasn't there yet. Um, so we have that. And then another, like you said, battery density. So with components becoming cheaper, manufacturing uh, being more efficient, easier to do. And then another huge variable is the materials that goes into batteries. So mining lithium, cobalt. So finding resources for these uh, batteries and then just scaling it up and having way more density per pound of a battery pack. Because once you get a certain weight of a battery, you lose that efficiency because you're having to move weight, more weight. Um, so they're really working on getting the weight down, getting the density of the energy in a battery more efficient because when you compare a gallon of gasoline, which is about eight pounds, to eight pounds worth of a battery, you have way more energy in that, um, way more efficiency to use up that gallon of gasoline than eight pounds of a battery pack. And then, and then infrastructure is also a huge problem. When I was driving up from Arizona to Washington, right, it, it just, it was very difficult to say, I'm going to stop here for 30 minutes and I'm going to be just fine. Every time I stopped, I was like, I'm going to put it full battery because I don't know if I'm going to hit a, a battery or a, a charging station that was too full or that, you know, that was, that was broken. I was afraid of that the entire time. The anxiety is real when you're driving an electric vehicle. So I believe that'd be the case for most electric vehicles that, you know, have to charge in a freaking you know, a plug-in versus an actual supercharger for Teslas, right? It takes me 30 to 45 minutes to charge something for a significant amount, like 20 to freaking 100%, right? It's, I, I would say that on the West Coast, 
most of my friends who are driving electric vehicles are completely, you know, they're comfortable with the infrastructure around the West Coast, especially in California. Um, doesn't feel like you have to worry too much about it, but not like gas vehicles where like wherever you drive in the United States, I feel like you'd be comfortable like, okay, yeah, I'll find a gas station somewhere with some gas. You know, everybody uses gas for something. For electric vehicles, it's not the same. You got to have different plugs. You got to have different kind of infrastructure. So some cities are, are perfect for these. Some cities are just not. So that's going to be a significant challenge as well. It just comes down to um, accessibility. It's it's a work in progress. In the early part of the 21st century, like battery-powered vehicles were inefficient. You couldn't go too far, right? And there was no infrastructure, obviously. And then Elon Musk and Tesla, they really changed the narrative. And then people started really diving into battery tech. The science was already there, but it was... How do you scale it? It's the same thing with solar cells, right? The science was there, but how do you scale it? The know-how of being able to manufacture one versus 1,000 versus 10,000 versus a million. Once you get those skill sets, like you can replicate it. If you build a million, you can build another million. It's harder to go from one to a million than a one million to two million. Right. So I think that know-how is is huge and the technology evolves and it's constant iteration. So that always helps. So we we have this new picture of of the auto industry going towards electrification, going towards um, autonomy of vehicles and everything. Um, recently, obviously, I, I, I'm curious to see what COVID had to do with with production lines and, and supply shocks in, in 2020, you know, like how has the narrative shifted since COVID started? I know there has been a lot of like supply chain issues generally, but like, do you guys have any insight on what's going on uh, with COVID? Yeah. So COVID really showed how much of a global economy we live in currently with supply chain uh, components being delivered to manufacture a car. A Toyota Tundra, you have parts being built in Mexico, you have other parts being built in Canada, some built in Japan, and some finished and final product is built in the, then the US. So it's like four different countries, you're having to rely on components being delivered, built together, processed, and then shipped out and sold. When COVID first started, no one was going to the factory, everything was locked down. You know, you can't work from home and build a car. <laughs> you got to be on there, on the, on the ground, on the floor to overlook all these machines that are building up these cars. And you know, we do have a lot of these robots to lift three thousand pound cars and put the wheels on, engine in, all that stuff. A lot of it's assisted, but you still have to have the person in there managing it. Human um, aspects of building a car is still really important. We saw a supply shock where auto manufacturers stopped building cars. No one was buying any cars, a lot of inventory. And now as kind of things are recovering, people are buying, there isn't enough workers to get ahead of the curve of how much people are purchasing cars now. There's kind of a lag in getting things going because it takes about, I don't know, two, two weeks to build a car from scratch to final product. Another aspect of how COVID is affecting uh, sales is that uh, I read somewhere that 37% of used consumers are delaying large purchases and 21% of them concern, were concerned about making upcoming payments. So whether that be a mortgage 
or a car payment, the average uh, life of a car or average time that a person holds a car before purchasing a new one will probably uh, be extended more now that people are driving less, they're being a little more cautious about their finances. And, um, you know, they're delaying those large purchases just because of the uncertainty going on right now. On the flip side of it, like there was a McKinsey report where it said cars in ride sharing out, how millennials are fueling the next wave of mobility, something like that. <laughs> and in these big cities, they knew, okay, they needed some some way of getting out and moving around, working from home, that sort of thing. So that kind of fueled some level of buying, uh, obviously not as much as it was pre-COVID, but What's interesting is they have found digital ways of buying cars rather than going into and haggling with a car salesman. All of us know about, you know, car salesmen and just sitting there for 20 years to try and get a good deal. And, you know, you're still getting fleeced. But now, now with sites like CarMax and Carvana, Carvana, dude, they just reported earnings like a week ago. The stock is up. 500% since March, 5x. Revenues up 40% year over year. Considering we have a deadly pandemic, this company is thriving. So you can see where there is a shift in consumer behavior on the ownership, and there's a shift in consumer behavior in method of purchasing. Yeah, in a way, it's inefficient, but creates so many jobs. Like, just think about how many car salesmen are going to lose a job because of the change in consumer buying preferences and how they want to have that experience of purchasing a Tesla. Anyway, so yeah, we're going to see more of these uh, partnerships, strategic partnerships with car companies to uh, keep continuing to push the technology forward to lessen costs, um, try to get through COVID because um, they're being hit pretty heavy by it based on supply, demand and consumers delaying their purchases. Hey, thanks so much for listening to our show this week. You could subscribe to us. And if you're feeling generous, well, you could even leave us a review. Trust me, it goes a long, long way. You could also follow THC at THC underscore pod on Twitter and LinkedIn. This is Things Have Changed.